Uh, right now we are studying the book of Revelation and we are in the prologue and we're just beginning our journey. It'd be a great time to come and be a part of what we're doing if you're interested in end times or interested in um, the, all matters related to the church. Uh, and what's going to happen when Christ returns? Be a great time to jump on board and come and uh, study uh, with us. But I thought today what we would do, uh, since it is uh, Resurrection Sunday, I like that term much better than Easter, Resurrection Sunday, is that we would take a look um, at two disciples uh, who were traveling on the day that Jesus uh, rose from the dead. Um, those of you who have been a part of this from the beginning um, know that uh, I kind of came up with Doxa Church uh, because of the name, because of what it is, and we're all about the glory of God. And we believe the glory of God changes everything. But the other name that I really wrestled with was something along the, the lines of dealing with this passage of Scripture, the Emmaus Road or the Emmaus Way or something along uh, those lines. Uh, because this is such a vital, vital passage of Scripture to not only understanding the Gospel, but understanding the entire Bible. The entire Bible. And so what I want to take time to do this morning is I want to look at this passage. I want to read it all so that we have it uh, in our minds. And, um, and I want to walk through some truths of the passage but what I want to focus on is I really want to focus on the transformation of the disciples as we walk through this. Uh, in, in all reality, we could easily spend three months or more studying this particular passage of Scripture. There's so much there and so much involved. But I'm going to try to contain it to about two hours today and we'll be uh, done about... 12.30, you know, what not there. Uh, our guests, they don't know whether to, I'm joking or not. Um, no, I want to, uh, but what I want to do is I want to read this passage. We're going to point out some truths about Jesus. But today, and there are many different ways we could approach this passage, I really want to look at the transformation that took place in the lives of these disciples. Because I believe that the transformation that takes place in the lives of these disciples really are a model of the transformation that takes place in every person's life who becomes a follower of Christ. And I want you to see how God works in the hearts and lives of these two disciples and uh, what He does for them. And, uh, and He can do the same uh, for us uh, today. So Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13, and um, I'll just read down through verse 35, okay? So it's a long passage of Scripture. I'll let you be seated for the reading of God's Word uh, rather than standing uh, today. Let's listen. I'm reading from the New American Standard, and it begins, and behold, and every time you see the word behold, that means to stop, look, pay attention. Uh, what's about to happen is vitally important. So he says, and behold, two of them were being two of the disciples, and they're not named. They were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. So they had been in Jerusalem for all the events that had taken place. And now they were headed back home to Emmaus. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus Himself approached and began traveling with them. 
but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still looking sad. One of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? I find that interesting because if there was anyone who was aware of the things that had just happened in Jerusalem, it would be the one who is saying what things. And they said to him, the things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and in word, in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was He who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find His body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that He was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into His doxa, Glory, right there in this passage. Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they approached a village where they were going and he acted as though he were going farther. But they urged him saying, stay with us for it is getting toward evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. And while they were telling these things, he himself, Jesus himself, stood in the midst and said, Peace be to you. As we look at this particular passage of Scripture today, I want us to consider um, the truth of the gospel that we see here. But not only consider the truth of the gospel, but I want us to see the transformation of the disciples. So we're going to focus our thoughts this morning on two things. The truth of the gospel 
And then secondly, the transformation of the disciples. And my desire is, as we talk about the truths of the gospel, if there's any area of the gospel that you yourself find yourself cloudy or unclear, and you're thinking that it will be clear today, it will become clear, that you will clearly know and understand, or for some of you, simply be reminded of the wonderful truths of the gospel. And then my desire also is, because we can't ever preach the gospel and hear the gospel, be reminded of the gospel without the gospel doing its work in our lives. And my desire today is that as we consider the transformation of these disciples, that God Himself will continue the work of transformation in our lives. For some, it may be that you're lost in need of a Savior. and The gospel is going to be bad news first before it becomes good news. But perhaps today you will receive not only the bad news, but the good news of the gospel and be transformed into a disciple of Jesus Christ. For others of you that are saved, that know Jesus Christ, are in the transforming process, my desire is that you will be reminded of these truths and become confident to be able to share those truths. And as Jesus continues His work of transforming in your life, shaping you into the, the, the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you will come to love Him in a greater capacity, and not only come to love Him in a greater capacity, but desire to see others come to know Him as well. That your worship would be, would be deepened, that you're not knowledge of God and His Word would be increased and that your passion for lost people would grow in intensity as well. Because I'm going to go ahead and tell you, those of you that are saved, the end of the end of the transformation of a disciple is not that you yourself become a disciple of Jesus Christ, but that you go and strengthen the, the brethren and that you go and share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. So let's begin, first of all, looking at this passage of Scripture, and let's consider the truths of the gospel that's, that's here. It's interesting, these disciples, one's named Cleopas, the other is unnamed, and, and they're walking together, and they are as sad as they could possibly be. They are as hopeless as they could possibly be. They had spent some portion of the last three and a half years following Jesus. Now, we know that they weren't part of the original twelve, at some point along the way in Jesus' ministry, they became a follower of Jesus Christ. They came to believe that He was the hope for Israel. They had come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that He was the King, that He was going to reign and rule. And yet, much to their dismay, rather than Jesus entering into Jerusalem and, and, and taking over the throne and casting out the authorities and finding himself rightfully seated on the throne of David and being the king of Israel. Jesus enters into Jerusalem, not riding a, a white horse of victory, but riding on the back of a donkey. And though the people were shouting, Hosanna, 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 Jesus sat there on the back of that donkey, weeping over the people of Jerusalem. And rather than reigning and ruling, they arrested Him, they beat Him, they mocked Him, they spit upon Him, they ripped out His beard, they beat Him beyond recognition and nailed Him to a cruel Cruel cross, the cross of Calvary. These disciples had witnessed that. 
In fact, everyone in Jerusalem certainly would have been uh, uh, aware of the things that were taking place, whether they were part of the Jewish religion or not. After all, if you remember, while all this was taking place, darkness had come over the land. At 12 noon, for a period of three hours, darkness came upon the land, and surely everyone would have known. And we don't know whether the whole land was the land of Jerusalem, the Middle East, or the, or the entire world, but what we know is, is that darkness came over the land at noon for a period of three hours. Certainly everyone would have stopped in their tracks. Everyone would have considered what was taking place and what was going on. It's certainly would have had the world's attention. Perhaps this would be the time that Jesus would come down. But instead, at the conclusion of those three hours, Jesus uttered these words, It is finished. And the Bible says He breathed His last. King James, He gave up the ghost. And there He lay, uh, nailed to the cross, dead, for all to see. Proving his death was the fact that the Roman soldiers came and they took that sword and they pierced right through his side and pierced into his heart because the Bible says that both blood and water came out, signifying truly that this one had died. No need to break the legs as they did on the disciples next to them on the cross around them, forbidding them to push themselves up on the nail to catch a breath. They would expire too because they would be unable to breathe, experience asphyxiation in addition to other the horrific things uh, of the cross that we'll not mention today. Two came along and took Jesus' body and they prepared it. The disciples had scattered except for John and um, placed it in a borrowed tomb. And here on the third day, the disciples had gone there and Jesus' body was gone. It was gone. These disciples, they knew all of those truths because they had witnessed them and they had experienced them. But you and I know this, that there's a difference between knowing what happened, right, and knowing the significance of what happened. There's a difference between simply knowing facts and knowing the significance. See, what I find in the world today is there are a whole lot of people that can recount the story of Christ in many, many ways. If you ask a lot, a lot of people, even those who have never attended church, don't attend church, or in any part of any type of religion at all, they can tell you the facts about Jesus, but they can't tell you the significance of Jesus. They do not know the truths of the gospel. And therefore, they are lost. They are sad. They are without hope. For these two disciples, they clearly, clearly believed that Jesus was someone significant and clearly believed that some Jesus was someone important and clearly believed that there was some significance to the things that were taking place. And yet they did not know what it was. And though they had witnessed firsthand the things that had taken place in Jerusalem, they walked away feeling helpless, feeling hopeless, and discouraged beyond what you and I honestly could possibly understand they were feeling on that day. After all, they believed Jesus was the hope. And there He was. 
as they were walking home, and we don't know the conversation that they had, it just says they were talking about all of these things. As they were walking along, as they were taking that seven-mile walk from Jerusalem, they were talking to each other. What happened and what was the significance of that? And I thought this was going to happen and I thought that was going to happen. Much like you do when you go and you experience something where something really good or really bad, you walk away, you want to process it out loud. You want to talk about it with, with someone else. Well, did you see this? Did you hear that? Can you believe that this happened? I never would have guessed that would have happened. They were probably having that type of conversation, but probably going, how did we miss this? How did we, how did we come to believe that Jesus was the, the hope of the world and, and now he's gone? And where are we? And what are we doing? And did we believe a lie? What in the world has happened? And what's taking place? And they were on their way back. And as they were walking, it would uh, you can find pictures, by the way, online of the Emmaus Road. It was uh, certainly not a walk through the city. It was a difficult walk, seven-mile journey. And as they were walking along, it would be a common route, so there would be other people along the way. Certainly, many people would be going up to the city of Jerusalem, and many people would be going down from the city to Jerusalem. And regardless whether they were going north, south, or east, or west, Jerusalem was always up because Jerusalem set up on a on a hill on a on a mountain up on a uh, it was a raised uh, land geographically, and so you were always going up to Jerusalem, no matter which direction that you were traveling. And so it certainly would be common to, to go up to Jerusalem to do the things you need to do in a city to engage in worship of the temple, to purchase goods for back home. It would be like going to the city, uh, if you will, uh, from the country. So there would certainly always be people walking and traveling and, and, and perhaps though it's not uh, recorded on this particular road as it is on the road to Jericho, there'd be some dangers along the road as well. But nevertheless, they were traveling along and as they were traveling along, it wouldn't be uncommon for people to come alongside and begin to walk with you and join in the conversation. This one that we know to be Jesus comes to do that. As Jesus comes to do this, notice that He begins to ask them, what are the words that you are exchanging with one another in verse 17 as you are walking? And they stood still. I mean, can you imagine? They're walking along, and now this guy comes up and says, what are these things you're discussing? And they just stop. Right? I mean, they're traveling, and they, they stop almost in disbelief, in disgust, looking sad. Can you believe this cat? I mean, he's asking... What in the world is going on? Does he, I mean, he's traveling this way. He's been in Jerusalem as well. I mean, they're walking along, and when Jesus asks this question, they have no clue who it is. They stop and makes you wonder, what kind of look did they, did they give him? And the Bible says they were certainly looking sad. Look at the question. Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem unaware of these things? And they go on to share their perspective of the events that happened. That's important. They shared their perspective of the events from happened. They took the truths, and though they didn't understand the full significance of everything that took place, they took what they understood at that particular place in time. And they said the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, in word, in the sight of God and all the people. And they began to give the facts and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But now here it is. We were hoping. 
I want to pause here for just a second and, and step outside of the story for just a moment. Because probably here in this place today, there are some of you who feel just like the disciples. They thought they understood God. They thought they understood how God worked, how God operated, how God does things. Right? They thought, right? All of us have been there, right? God, we thought that you would do this. God, we thought if we were faithful that you would show up. God, we thought if we were this that you would work the miracle. God, we thought that you, we, you would rescue. God, we thought that you would heal. God, that we thought that you would do all of these things. God, we expected you to be the God that we want you to be and do things our way. And God, you didn't do those things our way. Whenever he says, we were hoping, you know what he's saying? God, we were hoping that you were going to do things the way that we think that you ought to do things. Let me just be as clear as I can possibly be. Every single one of us put expectations of God and put God, put expectation of God and, ha- and who He is and how He works and how He operates. And all of us will put God in a box. And even if you say, I would never put God in a box, I always consider the fact that God is always outside of the box. Listen, then you're putting God in the box by saying He always has to be outside of the box. And the fact is, is you can't put God in a box. You can't keep God in a box. You can't do anything with God. God is God. Listen, why do you think if His thoughts are higher than our thoughts and His ways are higher than our ways, then why do you think that you can even think the same thoughts as God? And why do you think that you can even consider all the possibilities of all the ways that God would be working and moving if His thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts and His ways are so much higher than our ways? Then what gives you and I the right to even think that we can even guess what God is thinking or expect Him to act in any certain way that He is acting. He is God. And when we come to the place that we find... Listen, the times that I find disappointment with God in my life is when I say, we were hoping. And God, You didn't do it. You didn't do it. Oh, I know. We say, I want it God's way. Then why do we get so disappointed when God doesn't do things our way? We were hoping. We were hoping what? We were hoping that our life would become better. We were hoping that finally one of us would be reigning and ruling. We were hoping that that Jesus would be the one who would reign and rule. Because really what were they wanting? They were wanting a life of ease. They were wanting a life with a ruler that believed like they believed, who wouldn't legislate against their ways of view. They wanted one that they could be confident they wouldn't be persecuted. They wanted a ruler who would, right, who would give them favor and it would give them the land that they wanted and give them. They wanted not what God wanted. They wanted not what was better for everyone else. They wanted, at the end of the day, the same thing that you and I wanted, what we think is best for us. We, we need to be careful. We need to be careful when, when we couch the truths of God 
And right in a way that really is for our own good and for our blessing. We want God to work and move in a certain way because, because it's going to make life easier for us. It's going to make life better for us. We won't have to suffer. We won't have to hurt. We won't have to be the minority. We won't have to be rejected. We won't have to be, we won't have to be ultimately be careful in saying, God, do this because, because of who you are when in reality it's because of us. And it's right here. And we were hoping. We were hoping that it was He who was going to redeem Israel and therefore make life easy. Now here's the thing. Let's be clear. They understood the truths of the Gospel because they saw, they witnessed Jesus arrested. They certainly heard about it. They witnessed Jesus on the cross. Certainly saw it. They witnessed the darkness. Hey, listen. They even knew the truths of the resurrection. Did you see what it says there in the text? What it says in the text is, and it says, and nevertheless, he says, they were, the soldiers were coming, the, the women were coming, and, and the women, they amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. This perplexed me for a long time. I thought, how could they know the truths of the resurrection? They went there, they didn't find his body, and yet feel hopeless and feel sad and feel alone. How could they feel that way? They knew the truth. The fact of the matter is, like so many people today, they know the truths of the gospel, but they fail to understand the significance. For these, what they understood, what they wanted was Jesus to become king, to make life easier for them, to redeem Israel, to set up the one world religion that would favor them and the way that they want to live life and the way that they want to do things. And they would never be looked down, cast down again, and all these things. They wanted God to work in their way. And yet they failed to see the big picture and understand the significance of the gospel. They were looking for a temporary solution to an earthly problem, and God was providing a forever solution to an eternal problem. They wanted life to be better on earth, Jesus to reign and rule from Jerusalem and reign over Israel, and God wanted so much more, and God did so much more than that. Remember, they wanted Him to go into the temple and they wanted Him to to take over the authority and go and to reign and rule from David's throne and make life easier. And God wanted to redeem sinners who would be separated from God forever in a place called hell because of their sin, not only Jews but Gentiles. And He wanted to redeem them. When Jesus died on the cross, the the significance of that is not just that He was dead and He came alive. The significance of that is in His death, He brings life not just to the Jews, but to all who would believe. You see, listen, it wasn't the Roman soldiers that nailed Him to the cross. Listen, it was you and I that nailed Him to the cross. It was your sin and it was my sin that nailed Him to the cross. 
It was love that held him there. It wasn't the nails. It was the love for people that he had. Jesus came to live the life that you cannot live. He lived the perfect sinless life. He never committed the sin of commission, which is the sin of acting out. He never committed the sin of omission, not doing what he ought not to do. He always obeyed and fulfilled the law of God in every way that for no human was ever possible. And they took Him and they nailed Him. But listen to me. Jesus says it. He says, shouldn't the Son of Man suffer and die? That's what the Bible teaches. The Son of Man, He must suffer and die before He enters into His glory. And in entering into His glory, what He did was He purchased not only pardon for these disciples and all the other Jewish disciples, but He purchased the pardon for every person who would call on the name of the Lord to be saved. You see, we don't need a ruler in Jerusalem, though as we said in the book of Revelation, He is coming and He will reign and rule there. What we needed was a Savior who could save us from our sins. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone, all we like sheep have gone astray and gone on our, went our own direction, went our own way. And Christ came, listen, Christ came and lived the life that we could not live. He died the cruel death on the cross in our place that we should have died. Not only did He bear the physical torture of the things that were there, but God Himself made an appearance at the cross in the darkness and poured out His wrath upon His Son. And He poured out His wrath on His Son that you and I deserved. That's what Isaiah 53 tells us. Listen to the words of Isaiah 53. It's, it's so important to the significance of the Gospel. Isaiah chapter 53. Just listen to, listen to the Word of God. It says in verse 2, For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him nor appearance that we should be attracted to Him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, He was despised, and we did not esteem Him. Surely our griefs He Himself bore and our sorrows He carried, yet we ourselves esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But He was pierced through for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of our well-being fell upon Him and by His scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to His own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He did not open His mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before His shears. He did not open His mouth. By oppression and judgment He was taken away, and as for His generation, who considered that He was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of My people to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. And Isaiah goes on to explain the significance of all that we just read when he says, but the Lord was pleased. Now listen to this. The Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. 
If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. What do you mean it pleased the Lord to crush him? The Son of Man had to suffer and die, but his suffering wasn't just physical. The significance of the suffering was that he suffered spiritually there as well. In fact, Isaiah 52, 53 says that he was more beyond human recognition. God came and poured his wrath out on Jesus for our sins in order that we who simply repent and believe and confess Jesus as Lord may have all of our sins, past, present, and future forgiven, have the penalty of sin completely removed from us so that when we die, we're removed from the very presence of sin altogether and go to live with Him in a place called heaven. These disciples in Luke 24, they just thought they wanted Jesus to make their life better. And He would have earthly. But what He ultimately did was He made their life better eternally. Eternally. So how does it happen? Well, let's look at the transformation real quick. It's really easy right here in this particular passage of Scripture. I want you to see, first of all, when we look at, the, when we look at these disciples... I want you, first of all, that they knew some things. They knew some, they knew some truths. They just didn't understand the significance of them. Listen, the, these, they're called disciples. In some way, they followed Jesus along the journey. They were at least familiar with the story. They knew some things uh, about Him. I want you to see that even though that they knew some things about Him, when Jesus Himself came, they, they did not recognize Jesus. Now, they didn't recognize Jesus, not because they didn't have the ability to recognize Jesus. But listen, I want you to understand this truth. They were kept. Did you notice that in the text? They were kept from seeing and recognizing Him. See that in verse 16? Their eyes were prevented from recognizing Him. Here's the first truth I want you to understand. If a person is going to be saved, they're going to be born again. It's going to be brought into the kingdom of God, brought into the family of God, saved, regenerated, forgiven, and all of those things. Listen, their eyes, their eyes are blind unless God opens them. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says, but the liturgy God of this world has blinded the eyes of those so that they will not see or understand the Scripture, recognize the Gospel. Friend, if you're saved today, the reason you're saved today is not because you just made some great decision for Christ and you saw and you reasoned with the truths of God and you came to place in your life that you thought that they sounded pretty good and you'd like to fall the way. Friend, the reason you're saved today, if you are saved today, is because your eyes were once blind. Right? And God opened them to the truths of your own sinfulness and His holiness and the path and way to salvation. The way a person is saved is first of all, not knowing spiritual things. They knew spiritual things. But God opens the eyes of those to be able to see spiritually who He is in holiness, in His holiness. And by His grace, God allows us to see who we are in our sinfulness. Because you can't look upon the holiness of God without seeing your own sinfulness and the sinfulness of man and therefore the hopelessness of your situation. 
Before a person will ever get saved, they they first must first become lost. And before they can become lost, they must see God high and lifted up in His holiness, in His glory, in His perfection, in His justice, in all of those things. And just like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, when he saw the Lord high and lifted up, he said, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am ruined. Seeing himself in the presence of a holy God, listen, brought a profound understanding of his lostness. How does that happen? It only happens because God opens your eyes. I don't care how far you walk in the journey of salvation of what you did, God did more. I don't care all the decisions that you made. I don't care all the Bible that you read. I don't care any of those things. Those things only are matter and important. Hey, listen, God first and foremost is the author of salvation. Jesus says that no one will come to the Father unless He's drawn by the Holy Spirit of God. And no one will come to the Father except through Me. You cannot outdo God in the work of salvation. Every step you take, Jesus went a step further. Well, I came to understand the truth about God because God opens your eyes to see that. I came to understand my sinfulness in man because God opened your eyes to His holiness and therefore you saw your, your sinfulness. I understood that I stood condemned before God because God allows you to see your sin and to know that you'd be separated from Him once and for all, forever in a place called hell throughout all of eternity. And you may say, and I made a decision to follow Christ. Friend, you didn't make a decision to follow Christ until He first made a decision. I don't care if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Friends, what matters is has He accepted you. You will not find in the pages of Scripture anyone saying, I've accepted Jesus as my Savior. It's not there. Friend, it doesn't matter what you list. There were those who had accepted Jesus. And Jesus told them in Matthew chapter 7, He said, Lord, Lord, have we prophesied in Your name? Have we done ministry in Your name? Have we done all of these things in Your name? And Jesus says this, Oh yeah, good, come on into the kingdom. He said, no, no, depart from Me, for I never knew You. Friend, I don't care whether or not you know Jesus. These people knew Jesus before their eyes were open. But listen, it was only after their eyes were open that, right? Hey, it's only after Jesus opens your eyes that you know Him and He knows you. After all, when you stand before God guilty in your sin, listen, it's going to be Jesus saying, Father, I died for this one. I know him. Hey, this is my sheep, Jesus said. He knows my voice and I call him by name, not the other way around. God opened their eyes. And once their eyes were opened, did you notice what happened? He opened the scriptures to them. We talked about this on Wednesday night. Those of you that have been with us in, in the past on Wednesday evenings, listen, you hear the voice of God through the pages of Scripture. You want to know if you want to know what God has to think, what God has to say, you want God to speak to you, open the pages of your Bible. We talk to God through prayer. We hear the voice of God through His Scripture. And God's opened the eyes of the Scripture so that now they can understand the Scriptures. And the reason that they understood the Scriptures is because it says so a little bit later on. Now I want to just think about this. I want to think about this. Jesus comes. People say this. Well, preacher, I'd get saved if Jesus would just come to me. Well, guess what? 
He came to you through the pages of Scripture. He came before you to live the life that you could not live, to die the death on the cross in our place that you and I should have died. And all of that is recounted in Scripture. But I want to show you something fascinating. These disciples, they walk with Jesus. These disciples, they come to know who Jesus is. These disciples listen to the words of Jesus. These disciples break bread with Jesus in in there. But did you hear the one thing that they said? Look at the end of this passage of Scripture. Look at the end. Look at the end of this passage of Scripture. It says in verse 30, it says that they reclined at the table, they were breaking bed. Verse 31, then their eyes were opened and they recognized Him. He vanished. Now look at this, verse 32. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while He was speaking to us on the road? Look at this. While He was what? Opening the Scripture, explaining the Scripture, teaching the Scripture to them. Notice they didn't recount the miracles that He did along the way. They didn't count the fact that God Himself walked in the flesh with them. The lasting impact that they carried with them, what had the greatest impact on their life, was how He opened the Scriptures to them and their hearts were burning because of that. Friend, i got good news for you today. Jesus may never come and walk on the road with you. He may not. But I promise you this, if He opens your eyes and you open the Scriptures, He will meet with you and He will meet with you there in a way that will not only cause your heart to burn, but will transform your life forever. Last thing I want you to see, so how does a per- what happens in the transformation of a disciple's life? They know some religious things. Jesus comes. He opens their eyes. He opens Scripture to them. He explains Scripture to them. By the way, He explained to them how in all of the Scriptures they pointed to Himself. Here at Doxa Church, we believe in a Christ-centered philosophy of ministry. That means that all the Bible is a book about God that says something about man, not a book about man that says something about God. When we approach the Word of God here at Doxa, we approach it from a Christ-centered perspective because Jesus did the same thing here in this passage. He showed how all the prophets um, wrote about Him. In John chapter 5, verse 44 and following, He says that all the writings and all the prophets were all about Him. Jesus is all through this Bible. He didn't just show up in Matthew's Gospel. Give me another hour and I'll show you where He is in all of the Bible. But not today. So He opens their eyes. When He opens their eyes, they understand Scripture. In understanding Scripture, their hearts are transformed. Now, I bet you that they kicked themselves the rest of the days of their lives. Because as they were walking away, every step that they took, Jesus began to say, and I'm here in the Old Testament, and I'm here in the Old Testament, and I'm here, and I'm here, and I'm here, all the way through. And when they got to Emmaus, they said, won't you come stay with us? And he said, he acted as if he would have gone further. If he would have gone further, he would have talked more. But they said, no, that's enough. Come on in and sit down. And once they opened their eyes and they understood who they were, listen, he was gone. I bet you the rest of their days they beat their head against the stump and say, what if we'd have taken another step, gone another mile? What else could we have learned about Him? Well, how do I know that their lives were transformed? Finally, because notice what it says here. Notice what it says here. Their eyes were opened. Jesus has departed. And notice what it says, verse 33. Look at verse 33. And they said, wow, what a good day. I think I'll get some rest. 
and then tomorrow we'll go on living life as usual. They were completely unaffected by the things that they had experienced. Is that that's not what my Bible says either. That's not what my Bible says. My Bible says that it was late in the evening and they had supper and they enjoyed that time with Jesus and He vanished. And you know what they did? They couldn't wait to tell somebody. So they left right then and began the six-mile journey. Now, they didn't hop in the car and ride six miles. They left right then. You notice what it says? It says, and they got up when? That very hour and returned to Jerusalem six miles away and gathered with the disciples and shared the truths of the gospel and their experience. They had encountered Jesus. Friend, I know this. There are a lot of people who say they've met the risen Savior whose life has been unchanged, unaffected. You don't know him. You don't know him. There are people who say, yeah, I know all these truths, Chad. and You might know the truths, but you don't understand the significance of those truths. Because to know Him is to love Him. To love Him is to trust Him. To trust Him is to, is to obey Him. And at the very minimum, to obey Him means to be about the Great Commission and sharing the good news of the Gospel with others. At the very minimum. They left that evening and went and shared with them. And they began to relate their experiences, verse 35, on the road. Who were they telling? Anybody and everybody they encountered, they began to share. Friends, that's what a disciple does. A disciple is not one who knows religious truths. A disciple is one who's been transformed by the person and work of the Lord Jesus and therefore, it changes their priorities. It changes their perspectives. It changes how they live their life. And it opens their closed mouths to share the good news of the gospel with everyone. With everyone. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. You know what they were sharing? Their personal testimony of their personal encounter with Jesus. So a couple questions for you in closing. Do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior? Do you understand the truth? Or do you know the significance? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you're here today because it's Easter Sunday and it's just what you do because you ought to be here. Someone invited you. You chose to come. Whatever it is. Listen, friend, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you might leave here today with more knowledge than you had walking in. Perhaps not. But beloved, unless you understand the significance of those things that have been shared today, friend, you will be one day stand before God Instead of being welcomed, you will be rejected. Instead of being forgiven of all your sins and brought into the kingdom of God, you will be cast out of the presence of God into a place called hell, forever separated from Him without an opportunity ever again to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Oh, you'll know who He is, but it'll be eternally too late. Remember what the Bible says in Philippians? One day, every knee will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Some will bow the knee now and be saved and be redeemed. 
some gods will open their eyes and they will be saved. They will be redeemed and brought into the family of God. Others will say it there on that day before they are cast into the fires of hell forever, separated from God. He said, Chad, you're just trying to scare me. No, I'm not. But if that's true about you, I can promise you this. I'm not trying to scare you, but God is. And I hope He's gotten your attention. And I hope you see yourself in light of His holiness. And I hope and pray today that God in His grace and mercy will open your eyes to the truth of the gospel. And you'll simply come. And you'll repent of your sins and call on the Lord Jesus Christ to save you, Lord. But those of you, you've been saved for a while. Your life's being transformed. I've got good news for you. Your life will continue to be transformed all the days that you live. And one day when Jesus comes again, that work will be done just like that. But to have a true encounter with Jesus Christ means that you take those words and you share those with others. You share those words of testimony and experience along the way. If you're not doing that, you need to ask yourself why not. Right? Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Friend, if you're not a fisher of men, it may be because you're not following. Because all who follow will become fishers of men. And maybe you would pray that having your eyes already open to to the need of the gospel, maybe your prayer would be, God, open my eyes to the lostness of the people around me that I would see them and repent and believe the gospel. Father, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just come and we just thank You for loving us. We thank You for sending Jesus Christ. We thank You for the work of transformation that You did in these disciples' lives. Father, you help them to understand the significance of the Scripture. You help them to see Jesus more clearly. And Father, you sent them on mission. And Father, I pray for each and every person in this place today that, Father, we too would be reminded of the significance of the Gospel. And Father, that we would either bow the knee to Christ and we would repent and believe the Gospel. Or those of us who know Jesus Christ, that we would commit ourselves fresh and anew to share these experiences with others that we have. Father, we are so thankful today that we do not serve a risen or or a dead Savior, but we serve a risen Lord. I'm so thankful that there's not a place on this earth that we can go and find the body of Jesus, for He is alive and seated at the right hand of the Father, and He will come again one day to judge the living and the dead, and He will come to reign and rule upon this earth, and He will come and call us to be with Him for all of eternity. Father, I pray that we would get just as excited as these disciples did to not be able to wait till tomorrow, but to respond today, to go and to relate these experiences with others. And Lord, we're going to give you the glory for all that you do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And God's people said, Amen.